you can be seated. Thank you so much for joining us in worship this morning. And kids, you can be released for Children's Church. And for the rest of us, I hope that you have a scripture journal. So if you do not have one of these, as we begin a new series in Philippians, I just want to encourage you, if you'll raise your hand, Brandon is in the back here, he can hand you one. These are, are a great resource because it has the, the book of the Bible that we're going to be going through. It has a scripture on one side and then a place to take notes on the other. So you can see even my notes from uh, preparing. And, and there's a few things I want you to be aware of as, as Johnny makes his way through to hand these out of, of what is this that we hold in our hand? Because this isn't just some random author who has written this of a book that's been on the New York Times bestseller list that we're going through. Like Scripture says that first and foremost, what we hold in our hand is God's Word. Like this is one of 66 books that make up the Bible that we're going to be going through. The Scripture says that it was breathed out by God, these words. That, that it's useful in, in our lives to, to bring about conviction where we've gotten off track, to bring about correction in coaching, in the way of righteousness, to train us up in the way that we should go, that, that first and foremost, what we hold in our hands is the Word of God. It is perfect, without error, that we're going to be walking through as we read these words. Second, that the way that God chose to speak these words was through a man named Paul, that when he wrote these words out, he was actually under house arrest. He was in prison in Rome. And God used him to, to write down these words. He's writing to a church that has stood by him, even while he was in prison. They sent someone from their congregation to take support, financial support, to help Paul while he was under house arrest. That man became incredibly sick, almost died. And, and Paul is writing, the occasion is that Paul is writing a thank you note a missionary thank you note to this church that stood by him in the best and worst of times. But it's also a letter to us, to you. Like, have you ever been in a place, like this is God's word speaking to us where, where a moment where you just feel alone? Not like the kind of alone where you're the only person in a room, but the kind of alone that when you're standing in a room filled with people, you feel alone, that kind of alone? Have you ever been in a place where in your spiritual journey, you're like, man, I just feel stuck. Like I feel like I, I, I was growing at one time, but I just, I feel like I'm here now and I don't know. Have you ever had a sense where there's been this longing for deeper, more intimate relationship with others as you pursue Christ. This is God's word to us. This is what we hold in our hands this morning as we begin this series. This is my hope and prayer for us as we read God's word spoken through Paul to you, to us in this moment, in these coming weeks as we walk through the book of Philippians together. And so let's pray, and then we're going to start in the very first words. Lord, I thank you that we can be here together and stand and say, we hold in our hands your word. Breathe out 
by you. For us, that your perfect word in our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. I pray that you would give us a heart to receive what you want to say. Lord, where where conviction is needed, bring conviction. Where correction is needed, bring correction. Where training up in your teachings is needed, Lord, lead our hearts and be glorified throughout. And in Jesus' name, amen. So beginning on page six, I want us to look chapter one, the first two verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It can just seem like an introduction, right? Like, oh, let's just keep reading. But I want us to take a moment, and and in the, the swirls and lines that make up the letters of these first two verses, I want you to imagine the inky fingerprint of God, the the ridges of his fingerprint impressed on lives described in these words. Because look at the very first words, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. There's a story here. There's a story going all the way back to Acts chapter 9, Paul. A, a man who, who was being taught up in, like as a rabbi in, in Jewish teaching, he hated followers of Jesus. When, when a mob had risen up to kill a, a follower of Christ, he stood by with approval, like, here, let me hold your coat while you throw those stones and kill this man, because what you're doing is right and good. Paul was the one who instigated and enforced the imprisonment of followers of Christ. This was Paul's story until God's fingerprint was impressed on his life and everything changed. And now Paul himself is in prison, calling himself a slave, a servant of this Christ that he once detested. This is the fingerprints of God. And then to all the saints, all the saints that are in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, there's a story here pages of the Bible. Acts 16. Like Paul had gone on the first missionary journey. He had come back. He had a meeting with the religious leaders in Jerusalem that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not just for Jews. It's also for non-Jews. But then he's getting ready for a second missionary journey, but he has this falling away and this close relationship with Barnabas. They part ways. So then Paul goes with, with Silas And they have their plans, they have their travel itinerary, but God just seems to be stopping it at every direction, as if God himself were hemming them in, directing them to Philippi. And so he ends up there, goes into the city. Now, normally he would start at the synagogue, this city of Philippi, named after the father of Alexander the Great. Normally he would start in the synagogue, but there's not even 10 Jewish men in the city, because that's what it took to have a synagogue. So he hears that there's some people who pray down by the riverbank. So they actually know where this is. You go right outside the city gate, and the river was there. And he sees some women there praying. So he goes up, introduces himself, shares the gospel. There's this successful young businesswoman. Hears the gospel, believes the gospel, and is baptized right there in the river. 
Incredible. She insists, insists to him. Like, you have to come. You have to stay here. The, the, the church can meet in my home. And so that's what begins to happen. Paul's walking around the city of Philippi, and, and, and this young girl who was possessed by a demon, but nobody cared about her oppression. Instead, they exploited her and trafficked her, using this evil spirit so she could tell the fortune and they could make money off of her oppression. And, and, and this young girl was, was following behind Paul and, and, and was distracting, shouting things just to disrupt him. Paul's annoyed. There's nothing spiritual about this. He's annoyed. She won't be quiet. He yells at the demon to leave her, and it does. The owners are now ticked off because how are they going to make money? Now she's better. So Paul and Silas get completely beaten by the authorities, thrown in jail. And as happened, you know, like when, when you cast out a demon and you get beaten and then you end up in prison, they're up praying and singing hymns until midnight, right? An earthquake comes. The, the, the prison doors open up. The shackles fall off. And the first thing they think is, you know what? I think God wants us to stay here. I'm still trying to figure that one out because I would have interpreted something different. So they stay. The, the, the prison guard who had fallen asleep at that midnight siesta, as you would expect, right, wakes up, sees the prison doors open, and he's like, I'm dead. I failed. They've escaped. So he goes to kill himself right there in the prison. Paul sees this, and he's like, stop. What are you doing? And the prison guard's like, what are you doing? Why are you here? Shares the gospel with him. The man believes in the gospel, takes them out of the prison when you read this in context, takes him to his house, wakes up his kids, wakes up his wife, wakes up his household, says, you have to hear what just happened. Cleans up his wounds, his family, the household believes they're baptized that night. They feed him breakfast, they have a meal, and then he takes them back to prison. <laughs> this is the start of the church. Do you hear it? To all the saints in the church at Philippi. Do you see it? The fingerprints of God in these words? That in the midst of meetings, in the midst of broken relationships, in the midst of changed travel plans, in the midst of sitting by the, the, the river, in the midst of beatings and prison and annoyances, God was at work. In the everyday moments of life, God was at work. And now Paul's writing them. And he's saying to all the saints in the church who are at Philippi, God's fingerprints impress on the ordinary, everyday moments of our lives to tell his story. Think about that for a moment. Like, the first thing that came to mind for, for me, and I think I've told this story before, so forgive me. It was a moment when our family, when we were living in Chad, and we were up near the Sahara Desert. We had no electricity, which meant no Wi-Fi, no electricity, no fans or anything. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to figure out how to install solar. So I have this mass of wires, and I'm trying to be an electrician without YouTube, right? Like, that's hard. 
Anything without YouTube now is hard. I had a PDF document on a computer that was running on battery, and I'm sitting there and I'm getting a little frustrated, maybe mumbling a few things under my breath as I fight with solar panels and wires and figuring out volts and wattage and all that. And then my phone rings. And it's this Muslim man that, that we had been sharing the gospel with. And it's kind of one of those moments where you look at your phone and you're like, do I want to answer it? Or should I just keep fighting with this? I needed a break anyway, so I answered the phone. And this guy, he's like, I need to tell you something. Like last night I had a dream and Jesus came to me. And I'm like, great, here we go. <laughs> Jesus came in a dream. I'm like, what did he say? And he's like, well, he said that, that he was the way and that he was the truth, and that if I wanted eternal life, then I needed to follow him. And I'm like, that kind of sounds right. I was like, you know it says that in the Bible, right? And he's like, no, it doesn't. He hadn't read the Bible. And I'm like, no, no, really, like, let me take you to God's word. And so I read the passage to him in context, and I'm like, yeah, th this sounds right. Now we're both stunned, because he's having to reckon with the cost of what this means. And I'm like, Jesus just appeared to this man in a dream, it seems, and I'm here fighting with solar, and this isn't how I expected the supernatural to happen, quite honestly. Like, the sunrise looked no different. I wasn't in any kind of, like, particular mood that would make me think God was working, right? Like, and yet, he was. And I think these first two verses are a reminder in my mind of this. They are filled with stories of God's fingerprints in the midst of ordinary moments. And, and I wonder, where, where do you see God's fingerprints in your life in unexpected ways right now? Like if you were to slow down, if the pace was to start to break a little bit, and if you were to observe and pray and say, Lord, give me your eyes, not to see my frustrations, the, the meetings, the annoyances, the, the brokenness. Help me see where you are telling your story in the midst of my everyday. Where might you see that? What meetings by the riverbank? What annoyances as you go about your day is God ultimately telling his story. God may be doing something beautiful right now in your life that I'm reminded that I may not even be aware of. And yet Paul, looking back in these words to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. His fingerprints are all over those words. There's two themes as we look. We'll be going through verse 11 this morning, but as, as we even look in beginning in, in verse 3, there's two themes I want to highlight this morning, two particular words that I, I want us to begin to see as we look through these. They're the cause, the instigator, if you will, of Paul's joy, of his thankfulness, of Paul's confidence. See, initially, when I was putting the, the graphic together, even for this series, if you remember last week, it, it looked different than saying gospel fellowship. Instead, it said joyful, kind of this play on words, because joy is a central theme in the book of Philippians. You look at this, and you're going to see, yes, joy in Christ, particularly in the midst of suffering. It is a central theme. But what I came to see this week as I continue to go deeper in my study is that joy is the result of something. 
And I wanted us to not just look at the effect, but what is causing that joy. Let's focus there. Because Paul's thankfulness, his joy, his confidence was caused by something deeper. And that's what I want us to see in today's passage, because really what happens in the rest of this book is an extrapolation of these themes that will be applied in different ways. So look with me at at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Think about this for a moment. I, every time I think about you, like I'm thankful. There's joy as I remember to pray for you. Every time I meet somebody called Lydia, like that woman by the riverbank, my heart's filled with joy and I pray for you. Every time I I catch a a young girl walking behind me down the road, I'm reminded of that instant and, and I'm filled with joy and thankfulness and I pray for you. This is what he's saying. There is something close that, that, that many scholars say, like, you, like, you're not supposed to have a favorite child, but this was Paul's favorite church, is the way they talk about it. Like, Paul had a sincere and deep love for this church in Philippi. And it, and it overflows in this letter, and the question is, why? What was it uniquely about this church, these relationships, that filled Paul with such joy? Because that was the effect, but here's the cause. And we see this then in verse 5, because. Kind of tells us. This is why the prepositions are always important, right? Because. He's this way. He has this thankfulness. He has this joy because. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, so what is this partnership? Is this just that, that, that they, what, came to church on Sundays? Is this that they met and prayed together during the week in community group? Is it because they may have shared a meal together? What was this partnership that so moved Paul with thankfulness and joy? Because those are expressions of it, but they're not it. This word in the original language of Greek is koinonia. It's defined like this by David Peterson. To share with someone and something. You might be like, that's a lame definition, but track with me. That is beyond the relationship itself or to give someone a share in something. So here's what it means. Koinonia, what is this partnership in the gospel from the first day till now? This partnership was to share in something together. That something is Christ. That there is a share in in, in the grace of God, first and foremost, that was being shared in, partaken. The, the, The emphasis is not just on the relationship between the people. It's not just in the relationship between you and me. It is first and foremost about our relationship with Christ. It is to share in something, and that something is someone, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what it is being shared in. And what happens is when we share in that together, side by side, when we begin to walk that journey together of faith and obedience, we're brought closer together. That we're not doing this alone. We're not just saying, I share in Christ and here's Christ and you do your journey and I'll do mine and and we stay separate. No, it's like, hey, side by side, we're going to share 
in this journey of faith and obedience together with one another. And, and that means through the good and the bad, through the ups and the downs. Traveling this long road of faith and obedience. What came to mind was there are two particular vacations that our family has had that stands out in the memory. One, if you want to ask my children during the, the potluck, feel free to do it, was Miami. That was a terrible one. Like just everything, like it, the series of unfortunate events was the story of that vacation. The other one was we decided to hike the Appalachian Trail. Not the whole thing, but a portion of it. We were out of shape. We didn't know what we were doing. The packs were too heavy, right? There was frustration. There's vomit in the tent. There's tears. There was annoyances along the journey. It rained. Like, you can kind of see how this is going. We ran out of water because we couldn't make it up the next mountain. Like, this, this was the story. It was also filled with joy and, and laughter, beauty of God's creation as the leaves were changing colors. Right? There were these moments that have become memories that now get retold on family night around the dinner table. And, and, and now we, we even have a magnet on our fridge for one of our kids that says, I love not camping. So we learned. Like, we learned what does and does not work. That's why we tried Miami, and then that didn't work either. So, like, we're still figuring things out. Why does that remind me of it? Because we shared in something together. Doesn't mean it was perfect. Didn't mean it all went great. The ones that they tend to remember the most are the ones that went south, <laughs> where we went through something together. We had to overcome something together, but we were together in that. And, and the stories get retold. Here was the image that started to kind of go through my head. I, I imagine the church sitting around a potluck like today in Philippi, and, and Lydia telling that story of this strange man walking towards them, and like, who in the world is this? Hearing Paul say how how he shared the gospel with them. And, and Lydia, this successful businesswoman, saying how, how she was baptized right there. Th them laughing about how Paul got annoyed with that, with that girl who was following them. He just cast out the demon. Paul's like, I still have the marks on my back from the beating they gave me. The jailer telling the story of how his worst moment, when he was ready to end it all, actually became the start of a new life. Can you hear it? Koinonia. They shared in something together. Because they were following Christ together. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm assuming, and I hope and I pray this is something we all desire. This is something we want and long for in our lives. If not, I would suggest this is the wrong place for you. If that is not what you're longing for. But that this is something we desire and want among our church family. At the same time, I sense that, that for many, there is this reality of the sweetness of Koinonia. What that could be and could look like. But there's also this bitter reality 
that it's not quite being experienced the way we thought or wanted. So what do we do then? This is a a sidetrack. This is a rabbit trail as I've thought and prayed through this. This is not from the text. These are my words. Of just three things I would encourage you to do if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, yes, I want that kind of partnership in the gospel, but I'm not experiencing it. So what do I do in this space of frustration between what this passage is calling me to and what I'm actually feeling and experiencing? First, I would encourage you to pray. Like, don't just take this as like, oh, that's the spiritual thing to say. Think about it. These appointments, the the providence of God orchestrating these events according to his sovereign will to not travel to one place, to end up in Philippi, to end up by the riverbank, walking through the city, ending up in jail, all of these were orchestrated by God. They can't be manufactured. It's not a program. It's not like we're going to start a koinonia program or or that sort of thing here and then, then manage it. It has to begin with prayer. This is a work of God in our midst. And if we want to see that grow, and I want to see that grow in our church family, then we need to begin with prayer. And I would encourage you, the second thing, along with prayer, is examine your own heart. I think for many, if we're honest... We want the joy of that kind of partnership of Koinonia without the cost, right? Like we want to sit, we want to have that experience of sitting around the table, laughing and telling stories and recounting God's faithfulness, but we don't want the cost of the frustration and annoyances and hiking and being without water and vomit in your hands inside your tent. We don't want that part. Can I just have the fun story time? No. Too often I see people hitting eject, walking out the doors to find a cheap version of partnership without a willingness to endure the cost. And it will not happen. This is what we see in Paul's story from the very beginning until now, through the ups and the downs. The third thing is this. So if you begin with prayer, examine your own heart. The third thing, if you desire koinonia, but that's not your current experience, is intentional living. Open your home in hospitality. There are families here that do this extremely well. I'm sure there were more, but immediately I think of you've probably had a meal of some kind at the Fox's the Coleman's or the Zodaways, just to name three families. There's others. They're not the only ones, but I do want to highlight them as examples. You see this. I think the best thing you can do is open up your home, sit around the table, share a meal, and ask the simple question, tell me your story. Ask them how you can pray for them, pray for them after the meal, call it a day. I believe if we pray if we examine our hearts and we practice the gift of hospitality together, we will begin to grow in what God is inviting us into in this kind of partnership in the gospel. 
And then he goes on. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like I'm sure of it from the first day, from that moment in the prison, from, from suicide to standing and seeing your Savior face to face, from, from, from the riverbanks to standing at the river of life, from possession to standing in paradise. I believe that God who began this work in your life will bring it to, to completion. I'm confident of this because he's saying it, it's not just about them. It's about what God is doing. And he's saying, look, it's right for me to feel this way. In verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. He's like, look, I hold you in my heart. It's right for me to have this confidence. Why? Again, that's the effect of something. What's the cause? What's the, the instigator? What's the motivation for? For you are all partakers with me of grace. Partakers. Do you know what that word is? Koinonia. It's exactly the same word as partnership. You're partners with me of grace. We're in this together. We are tasting, sharing in the grace of Jesus Christ together. And both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the gospel and the confirmation of the gospel, that you have stood by my side in faithfulness to the gospel. You've stood by my side through the ups and through the downs, through the imprisonments, when, when there was a stigma on that, when people would look down on you for, for associating with somebody in prison, and yet you stood by me. He's going to finish the work he started. J.R. Tolkien, in his book, Fellowship of the Ring, writes, Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens. The church in Philippi was not faithless. They were faithful. They were faithful to the gospel. They were faithful in relationship with Paul. When things were going well, they were by his side. When he was in prison, they were giving him support. They were practicing the reality of what is promised. They were partakers of grace. This is the same invitation. These three action steps that I would encourage us to, would we as a congregation pray for this kind of spirit in our midst? Like use this as a model. You're going to hear in these closing three verses, as I model this for us, as I pray for, for you, for us, using these words, let us begin in prayer recognizing that this kind of work, to share in the gospel together, to taste sweetly of the intimacy with Christ that we've been talking about for the past two weeks, but have that shared with one another is ultimately a work of God. And it cannot be manufactured. It cannot be programmed. Would we pray? Would we examine our hearts? Where am I pushing too hard and pushing people away? Where have I pulled away? How is God inviting forward? And, and who could we invite to come have dinner at our house? If we start there, 
I want to look at these last three verses, 9, 10, and 11 together, but in a different way. I want to pray these verses over you for for two reasons. One is it's good for me to pray for you, right? Like it is a good thing for us to pray for these things together. The second is to model something that is valuable for me of actually praying scripture. Have you ever found yourself like, I've done this so many times, like you're praying, but you don't really know what God's will is. And so you start like hedging your bets. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, Lord, I, I know you can do this and I'm asking that you do this, but if you choose not to do this, maybe you could do that. But if you don't do that, it's okay. Like help me. Be, and, and like by the end, like you just find yourself circling around because you have no idea what's going to happen or what God's going to do or, or how to pray. For one, I just want to say that's okay. God takes all that and it says he interprets our groans to God. So I don't think we need to like be like, I should never pray like that. I pray like that sometimes because I don't know, and I'm trying to find my way as I pray and talk with God. But there's other times when I'm praying scripture, there's a confidence. There's like, I know this is true. I know this is the will of God. I know that these words are his breath spoken, and I can pray these words with a different kind of confidence as I pray. I think there's both. There's many kinds of prayer, but I would encourage us. There are moments, take prayers you see in the Bible and use them as a framework and pray those scriptures. And so I want to close in prayer by praying verses 9, 10, and 11 over us now.